0: Amen. Amen. praise the Lord for his word we uh, thank the Lord for this psalm that calls us to worship and obedience of the Lord let us go before the Lord in prayer father we come to you this morning thanking you and praising you for um, this day that you have given us that you have blessed us with father we First of all, I ask you to hear my prayer this morning and to answer it according to your good, sovereign, and perfect will. Father, your word calls us to come and sing before you, to shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, to come into your presence with thanksgiving, and to shout joyfully to you with psalms. So Lord, we come to you this morning as the The great God as the psalmist tells us you are our God and we are the people of your pasture and we are the sheep of your hand and father you call us today to hear your voice and Lord we hear your voice through your word and the day that we hear your voice we're not to harden our hearts as Israel did in the rebellion in the day of wilderness when they tested you and they tried you Lord and you were grieved with that generation Father I pray this morning that you are not grieved with this generation of people but that we be the generation that hears you that hears your word and takes heed to your word takes counsel from your word Lord I pray that you soften our hearts today as we have sung to you as we uh, pray to you as we read from your word Lord that our hearts are not hardened, but rather that we respond to your word in the affirmative with confidence Father, we uh, pray this morning to you as a God who hears. And I'm always confident, Lord, by the fact that you hear the prayers of your people. In our times of distress and discomfort, and Lord, even in our times of joy, Lord, you still hear us. And Father, we thank you for that. That is such a, a marvelous grace that you, the God of all creation, the sovereign God, who made the heavens and earth and everything in it. That Lord, you hear us, that you hear our prayers, that you hear our thoughts. Lord, just such a glorious and such a wonderful God. And Lord, only a heart that is in line with your spirit, only a heart who has your spirit rather, will understand this truth of you hearing the prayers of your people and how precious that is and Lord we pray for our um, nation we pray for our president and vice president Lord the administration we pray Lord for repentance we pray Lord that you may change their hearts because Lord the heart of the king is in your hands Lord we pray that you may turn them away from sin and turn them to a saving faith in you and all their cabinets, all their administration, all the administration officials, Lord, that you do the same with them. And Lord, a spirit-led revival may take place in Washington, D.C. And Lord, also here in Montgomery, and also Lord, here in our cities here in Calhoun County and through our county commission and Lord, we pray for the true church that the true church may continue to prevail, continue to persevere, continue to proclaim your truth, and speak your truth, Lord, as it pertains to what is going on in our culture around us. Lord, there's so many concerns inside and outside the church. But Lord, we are comforted in the fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, but that Christ will pervert, uh, preserve rather, his church and persevere his people. And, Father, we thank you for that, that no matter what goes on, no matter what legislation comes our way, no matter what legislation rise up against the church, Lord, that the church will not fall to the church, will not fail. The church will not fade away into oblivion the Lord that Christ will defend his church and we thank you for that speaking of church Lord we pray for our church members as I uh, pray for us every morning and Lord you continue to grow us in grace grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ grow us in holiness and righteousness grow us Lord in our walk with you that we may uh, pursue holiness and pursue uh, righteousness That we may, our lives may not be a reproach or an insult to your name. Lord, that our lives may bring you glory. In, In the schools, in the homes, in the workplace. Lord, may we be a gospel influence in those spaces each and every day. Perseverance, Lord, in everything that we do. And may we always have your glory in mind as our aim, whether in school, whether in the home, whether in our place of employment, whether around family members and and friends, that your glory may be our aim. That the name of the Lord may not be blasphemed among uh, those who are unbelievers. And Lord, we pray for those who are sick among us that you may heal them, Lord, and bring them back to full health, especially with all that is going around in our uh, state and in our nation and our county uh, right now. All the sickness that are taking place, the doctor's offices are filled every day. So Lord, I pray that you heal our members who are sick. And Lord, we pray for our hospitals, our nurses, and those who work in the healthcare care industry, Lord, that you um, persevere them, that your grace may be with them, even those who don't believe in you, Lord, that your common grace may be with them as they uh, navigate these waters of hospitalizations and uh, people are infected with um, uh, the COVID-19 uh, virus. Lord, just be with them all as they help to take care of those who are under their care. The Lord, we pray this morning also for uh, our dear brother and my dear brother, Bob. St. John, who's recovered from sickness, that you may continue to heal him, Lord, and bless him and Marianne. They're, they're such precious people to me and to our church our family, Lord, that you may be with Bob and strengthen him and strengthen his wife, uh, Marianne, also, and the Anson Bible Church family who were not able to meet this Lord's day. Uh, because of the many sicknesses that have um, happened in their congregation they want to protect everyone and give everyone a Sunday to, to heal Lord I pray for all those who are sick at ABC that you may heal them Lord and bring them back to full health as he told me the saints are longing to see each other's faces and to worship each other and that is what brotherly love is all about the saints longing to be with each other in in worshiping our creator God together so Lord I pray that you may make that happen for them and Lord we pray also for Grace Fellowship um, Christian Fellowship and Redeemer Church also and New Hope Presbyterian up in Jacksonville with our brother uh, Steve Mays and all the other churches Lord that we partner with that may be with all of us this morning Lord encouraging the saints and that the saints encourage each other and And bless all the men who are leading our churches. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen all the brethren. Help us to be faithful shepherds to your flock no matter what the size. That we be faithful men, faithful brethren. Being faithful shepherds. Being faithful stewards of your word. Being faithful stewards of the gospel that has been entrusted to us by you. It is you, Lord, who causes us to be faithful, so I pray that you help us as men to be faithful in leading your church, leading our homes, and just being faithful men of God. Father, I pray as we go into this message this morning in the book of Nehemiah, looking at uh, Nehemiah's confidence in you, Lord, that you may encourage us By the word to place our confidence in you when we face opposition from those who hate you, from those who hate your word, from those who wish to do the church harm, that we may find our confidence in you. Father, send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning. Show us your truth and may we live by it and apply it to our lives and may you bring sinners to repentance also as they hear this message in Christ's name I pray amen Amen, let us turn to Nehemiah the fourth chapter in our fourth sermon in this wonderful book and it continues to get better and better as we go through it And this morning's sermon is titled the Servants Confidence, the servant's confidence, and we're going to look at this chapter and pray and ask for the Lord's. Uh, we ought to pray. We're going to look to the Lord to illuminate His truth to us in this word. So a as follows. but so it so happened that when Samuel heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said what are these people Jews doing would they fortify themselves would they offer sacrifices Were they complete it in a day would they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Ha 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 I added to laugh for effect. I'm sorry. Hear, O oh God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. And do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sembalut, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they would neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, for well, whatever, place, whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and war armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand, they worked at construction, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me then I said to the nobles the rulers and the rest of the people the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there our God will fight for us so we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared at the same time also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the God who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. God is good. When I uh, hope you all did read this passage before we uh, before this morning, uh, but it's just looking at how the Lord uh, encouraged his people to build this wall. It reminds me of something that John MacArthur said, uh, a statement that we can bank on as Christians and it deals with what we are looking at today. When God's people attempt to do God's work in God's way, there will always be opposition. Always. Christians will always face opposition when we do God's work, God's way. There's never a time where we should not expect opposition when that happens, that we're going to experience attack. So we see here in this passage that the opposition to the rebuilding of the wall began to intensify but they were more determined than ever to put a stop to the Lord's work that's what these people were they were determined to put a stop to this work but in his response we see Nehemiah he first gives what we call an imprecatory prayer we're going to talk about what that is here in a a second but he gives an imprecatory prayer an imprecatory prayer uh, is the last resort appeal to God for <coughs> justice. An imprecatory and prayer is a uh, plea, an appeal to the court uh, of divine justice from God. And It is an uh, appeal for protection and it is an appeal for appropriate punishment for the wrongdoers of God's people. Uh, one good psalm that we see that is a psalm of imprecatory prayer is uh, psalm 35 and the theme of psalm 35 is the Lord the avenger of his people <clears throat> and this is what David says in the beginning listen to the language he is praying an imprecatory prayer a, a prayer for divine justice for protection and for the punishment of wrongdoers of God's people. And this is what Psalm 35 says. This is a psalm of David. It says, "Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler, and stand up for my help, and draw out a spear, and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. <laughs> Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life." let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt let them be like chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord pursue them so this is in in imprecatory prayer he's praying he's pleading to divine justice in other words justice from God to, to protect and to punish his enemies. And I can go on and on, but I'm not going to read this. It. A, it's a long psalm, but basically, this is uh, a psalm where he pleads for justice. And he says here in verse 22 This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silence. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my Lord and my God. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. And let not them rejoice over me. He's pleading to the Lord. And that is what we see here in this passage in Nehemiah. He prayed in a prayer. He pleaded to God uh, for help against their enemies. And also in this, in this passage, this is just our, our observations here. We find the people were discouraged by the initial opposition you know in verse 10 but for a, a brief time because Judah said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing there is too much rubble by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall so we see uh, a brief time of discouragement and there were three sources of discouragement as we see in the verses 10 through 12 We see the severity of the work because there was rubble that they had to deal with. We see the threats of destructions by the enemies. It says they will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. So they were discouraged by that. Then the Jews who lived outside Jerusalem calling their brethren to return home. It says in verse 12, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So they experienced opposition in three different ways. So this led to them being discouraged. You know, it's one of those things where people say, when it rains, it pours. (laughs) But in the midst of this, Nehemiah's leadership must be noted. He didn't panic at all. Instead, he called the people to action. He demonstrated confidence in the God of his people by so encouraging them not to be afraid because they had the great and awesome God on their side, as we saw when we read the great and awesome God. He says here in verse 14, do not be afraid of them. I had this underlined. I did a lot of underlining in this passage right here. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is what? Great and awesome. And will do what? Fight. God will fight for his people. So instead of panicking, Nehemiah had his confidence in God. And he organized the men along the wall, letting half of them work and half of them stand guard. Now there's some recurring themes in this passage we see and in this book opposition prayer laboring defending and trusting as we go through the rest of this book you're going to see that thing you're going to have opposition because opposition is not over you're going to see the call to prayer Nehemiah prayed we saw him praying in the first chapter the second chapter now we see him praying here laboring the working and rebuilding the wall defending defending the wall defending uh, Israel as a city defending the Lord's people and then trusting You see them turning to God and trusting God. You see Nehemiah urging the people to turn to God and to trust in him. So the big idea of this passage is as the servant leader, Nehemiah gives believers a blueprint for overcoming opposition to the Lord's work. So we're going to look at, I think, four principles this morning. The first principle we're going to see in the verses four through five and then verse nine the servant's confidence comes through praying for God's help and protection so in response to the uh, the the, the taunts look at verse three if a fox goes up on it he will break down their stone wall that's like a a taunt this wall is nothing if a fox goes up it'll fall you know teasing them or whatever you want to call it But what does Nehemiah do what are the first words we see in scripture in verse 4 hear O our God for we are despised turn back their taunt on their own heads his confidence comes through what? praying for God's help praying for God's protection so in response to the taunts Nehemiah does what has become customary for him. Pray. He prays for God's justice. And vindication. To vindicate someone means to to make them right. To declare them righteous. To defend them. To clear them. So he prays for God's justice. Lord. Lord. Turn. Back their taunts that's what he's praying for vindication it was not about the builders being insulted but it was about God's work being insulted because remember they were building they were rebuilding the city of God they were rebuilding the walls around the city of God this was a commission that Nehemiah had that he was appointed by God to come back to Jerusalem to rally these men to help rebuild the wall of the holy city of God. So this was God's work that these men were taunting. They were not taunting the builders. Yes, they were talking to the builders, but they were ultimately taunting who? God, because they were doing it for the Lord. They were doing it for the Lord. So in verse 9, after the enemies plotted to cause confusion, they prayed to our God and set a guard. We see that in verse 9. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night because these enemies were trying to cause confusion. They were trying to dishearten the people. The fact of them praying to their God, led by Nehemiah, showed their resolve, it showed their trust in their God for protection. And it showed their resolve in finishing the wall, knowing that God will protect them. Now, I'll say this. It takes tremendous confidence in the Lord to finish the work that he gives us to do, wherever it may be. Whether it's in his church. Or in the home or in the school. On our jobs, wherever it may be, it takes tremendous confidence in God to finish the work he gives us to do. The reason why is because we will encounter opposition from our common enemy, who is Satan. Satan will taunt us. He will use his minions to do that, his workers, his helpers. He will taunt us. He will oppress us. He will ridicule us. But with our confidence in God through prayer, we can and will finish the Lord's work. That is where our focus must be beyond as we look at where our culture is going as we look at how the church is constantly being ridiculed because we believe in God's truth and we boldly proclaim God's truth I was listening uh on the way to coming from The campus getting argy. I listened to a preacher this morning that said this about uh, the church here in America, in particular, is that the church has lost her boldness to proclaim God's truth because we've been convinced by the culture that God's truth is wrong. And he was talking about the rampant. Uh, sexual immorality that's taking place in our culture that's celebrated among the world and, and the church is afraid to speak out because no one wants to to be on the quote wrong side of history as they say but he said that the moment the church ceases from declaring the truth is the moment that a civilization begins to collapse because they don't have a truth to stand on they don't have a truth to look to they don't have a truth To believe in. Why? Because we're afraid to proclaim it. We're afraid to say what God says is true. We're afraid to do that. And we allow Satan. It's a satanic message out there. All the opposition that comes up against God's truth is satanic. All of it. Because Satan does what? He actively opposes God. He actively opposes the truth. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8 that you are of your father, the devil. He is a liar and he has been a liar from the beginning. You do whatever he tells you to do. And that is what our culture does. They do whatever their father, Satan, tells them what to do. And we as Christians. We're going to be taunted. We're going to be oppressed. We're going to be ridiculed. But so what? Our confidence is in God. Jesus told his disciples in John, I'm sorry, Matthew, the tenth chapter, uh, that long discourse about the persecution that they were going to uh, encounter. He told them that, "Do not be afraid of him." was able to destroy the body but not the soul but be afraid of him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell why because men fear man more than they fear God man can only destroy our bodies but man has no bearing on our souls no person on this earth no organization no ideology no philosophy can touch our souls and so we see these people in the book of Nehemiah they face an enemy they face opposition they were taunted they were ridiculed they were insulted but what did they do they retreated Nehemiah led his people to retreat to God to place their confidence in God to finish God's work As Christians, we must do the same. Finish God's work of proclaiming the truth and not believing the lies and giving in to the lies. No matter how passionate, you know, because we we, we live in such a feelings-based culture. Everything is about how we feel. Feelings of truth in our culture. What I feel is true because it is my lived experience. No matter how passionate a lie may be, it is still a lie. No matter how emotional of an appeal a lie is made, it is still a lie. It is not the truth. And as Christians, we must do that work of proclaiming this truth. We must trust in the Lord. We must ask the Lord to show us his ways, to teach us his paths, to lead us in in, in God's truth and to teach us. That's what David proclaimed in Psalm 25 and that's what we see with Nehemiah. He led them to the truth of God through prayer. Forget the opposition. They're going to come. Christians, you are going to encounter opposition. Get used to it and get over it and plow on. Trust in the Lord. The Lord will defend us. The Lord will protect us. There's nothing that our enemies can do to us. There's nothing that the enemies of the church can do to us. There's nothing that the enemies of God's truth can do to us us they can huff and puff like the big bad wolf all they want to but they're not going to blow the house down amen Christ himself encountered opposition in his earthly ministry he suffered in his flesh for our good he was opposed by Satan he was opposed by the Sanhedrin council of 72 who delivered him up he was opposed by the Pharisees. He was opposed by the Sadducees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the God-man, he encountered opposition in his ministry. Just read the Gospels. And his apostles encountered opposition. Paul and Peter and John and James, they encountered opposition in their apostolic ministry. They were all martyred. Why? Because they proclaimed God's truth. But in the end, what did Christ do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And we find that in First Peter. Listen to this encouragement. We're talking about the opposition here, the service confidence, coming through praying to God for help and protection. This is what Peter says about the ministry of Christ he says for this you were called he was talking about suffering in the context of suffering as a Christian he says for to this you were called we were called to suffering because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps and what were his steps that he committed no sin no deceit found in his mouth who speaking of Christ when he was reviled reviled means insulted He did not revile in return. He did not exchange insult for insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But committed himself to him, to God, his father, who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his body, his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were Healed. What did Christ do in opposition? What did he do when he was insulted? He entrusted himself to God the Father. To the one who judges righteously. And guess what? That is what we're going to do. That's what we see Nehemiah doing. Oh, they're insulting us. Oh, they said if a fox crawls up the wall, and it'll fall down. And what does Nehemiah say? Hear all our God. He pleads to the Lord. We pray to our God. That is what we do. We pray to God for protection. We pray to God for help. And don't you know, that's one of the prayers that God will answer. God will help and God will protect his people. Christ praying to God show his dependence upon his father in his humanity Christ prayed for God to ask for power in John 11 he prayed to God to ask for wisdom in Mark uh, the first chapter and Mark 6 he depended on his father in his humanity to carry out his father's plan of redemption and we see that in particular in John 17 which is Christ, a high priestly prayer where he prayed to his father and that is what uh, example he has left for us and that's what we see uh, foreshadowed in uh, Nehemiah as a type of Christ amen which leads to our second principle so we talked about the confidence being in praying now we see the service confidence comes through persevering persevering in God's work verse 6 and verse 10 verse 6 so we built the wall I like the end of that verse I like that last phrase what's the last phrase say For the people had what a mind to work verse 10 in Judah it was said the strength of those people who bear the burden is failing there's too much rubble by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall but guess what they did it anyway right we come through persevering in God's word. we talk about perseverance a lot in pastoral work it takes great perseverance pray for your pastor (laughs) I need it pray for my family we need it it takes great perseverance to do pastoral ministry there are many joys there are many discouragements that all of us face as men leading the Lord's church and I was talking about about that this morning too you know just persevering in ministry persevering through all types of uh, situations It is a persevering no matter how big or how small the church is. There's uh, no burden like that of being a pastor. But it's not just the pastors, it's everyone. As believers, we have to persevere in doing the Lord's work. One aspect of God's blessing on this project was the fact that he gave the people a deep desire to do the work. To persevere in it. And it was God who sustained that desire. He alone did it. He sustained his desire throughout the time that it took for the wall to be rebuilt. The work did get hard, as we read. The work did get discouraging. But, as Nehemiah said in verse 20 of chapter 2, the God of heaven will make us prosper he said this a time before we see in this chapter Nehemiah 2 and 20 said that the God of heaven will make us prosper his confidence is in God through the people persevering in God's work it is God who calls them to persevere the work did get hard and the fact is it is the Lord who must work in our hearts to do the work of his ministry God has to work in our hearts, and He does work in our hearts. Again, a reminded of the words of Paul. He who has begun a good work in us will complete it to the coming of Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is He, God, who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is God who works in us. It is God who perseveres us. God works in our hearts. To do the work. And it's not that God is not able, but we must be willing. It is a cooperation, it is a partnership. We cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to work in us for His glory. We must cooperate with the working of grace in our lives. It's not that God can't do it, but the Lord does not strive with us (laughs) okay in other words you want to rebel go ahead the Lord's not going to strive with us but as he works in our hearts and we cooperate with the work of the Spirit in our lives the Lord perseveres us. he causes us to persevere in that work again persevering in the Lord comes through working out what God has worked in us And primarily his salvation already quoted Philippians 2, uh, 11 through 12. God working uh, in us to do his will and his good pleasure. We put strenuous effort into living the Christian life. And we put work into living an aggressive Christian life, so to speak. Putting to death sin and putting on... um, the righteousness of Christ well we have the righteous Christ but putting on righteousness back of living a righteous life as we put off sin putting to death sin putting on a new man right that's what I meant to say we put out the old man put on a new man Paul talks about that in ephesians in ephesians 4 putting off we're constantly putting off sin we're constantly putting sin to death that is work that we have to do as God works in us we forsake sin we walk away from temptation we forsake times of temptation and we put on the new man and that is what the Lord does that's what perseverance looks like because the Christian life the Christian walk is a persevering walk he who endures to what the end it is an endurance it is a marathon it's not a a sprint Paul describes the Christian life as a as a marathon it is not a sprint to the finish it requires perseverance it requires as Paul says pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord it's it's pressing forward that's what the Christian walk looks like many get excited In the beginning, many get excited. Many get excited when they're first saved, and they're on fire for the Lord, so to speak. Some of them, five years later, ten years later, they peter out. They walk away. Why? Because it was not spirit walked. It was more fleshly. Like we talked about the four soils uh, back on Wednesday night, Bob said it was a question about that passage. They may endure for a season, but the trials of life, the cares of this world choke the word, and the word's not—they're not able to 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 bear fruit and be fruitful. This is a persevering walk. Christian work is a persevering work. We must press through. We must press on. And God does that in us, but we have to cooperate because that excitement—guess what? It is going to wear off after a while. That's human nature. It, that's in an anything, you know. You get a new job, you're like, "Yeah, I like this manager better than my old manager." <laughs> and six months later, you're like, "Man, this person worse." <laughs> you know? Yeah, the 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 pay is better, you know get better benefits, but man, ain't know it's going to be like this. It could be like that in, in a marriage. It could be like that with we having children. You know, it's, it's exciting at first. Then the child hits 15, 16 years old. You're like, uh, where did you come from? <laughs> Who are your parents? <laughs> you know, same thing with marriage. it's it's, it's exciting at first. You go through what what they call it there, the uh, honeymoon phase. You know, that honeymoon phase can die out fast. Not not necessarily in a bad way, but you know, it it lasts a little bit. But then the what? Perseverance has to come in. I was talking to uh, one of my uh, bank customers came in. Um, Her husband, uh, they divorced after 26 years of marriage. I'm like, man, that's like a quarter of a century and it's the typical, you know, husband leaving for a younger woman type situation. I told her I said he's not gonna be happy. I said a young girl and get that young girl will get tired of him. You know. I said, she is. But twenty six years of marriage. That's like twenty that's a quarter of a century together. And and all of a sudden, you know, that, that, that perseverance. So it's it's the principle that applies to all of life. We, we're talking about context of of ministry and doing the Lord's work but marriage is also the Lord's work because it is a one flesh union you're you're united under God you're united in covenant under God to the the purpose of marriage is to mirror the gospel to the world marriage is the gospel it's a picture of Christ and the church how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church how Christ sacrificed for the church and the husband does the same. You know Christ said husband love your wife as what well. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That the husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. That you are one flesh. So that the, the marriage is a picture of the gospel. I preached on that a few years ago. That's what it is. The gospel should be reflected in marriage. Part of the gospel is what? Having gospel perseverance. You're going to have tough years. You're going to have tough months. But you're going to have joyous years and Joyous months and joyous days, enjoying each other. It is a persevering word. You're going to get on each other's nerves sometimes. Why? Because you're two sinners. But guess what? You persevere through that. You don't you don't uh, jump out the plane at the first at the first sign of uh, of uh, trouble. You don't you 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 don't pull the ejection cord uh, at, at, after the first sign of trouble. You know, unless it's a red flag that you ignore when you were dating you know when you were in that honeymoon phase of dating and you forget all the the flaws you say oh they they'll work out when we get married no they won't they'll get worse you know and then you be just poor, you know no no it's persevering work because it's the lord's work same thing on the job you're doing you working for who the lord and it means you can't switch jobs I switched jobs in my life uh, but whatever job you're in you have a mind to do what? To persevere. Lord bless you with something better, good. When you get that job, do the same thing. Don't be like the person who has 20 jobs before they turn 30. You know, work every six months away and, and they quit and go to the next job and you find out the problem is not the job. The problem is you. Okay? So perseverance. It comes to working out again what God has worked in us, and that's what we see Here in this passage. Third principle. The service confidence. Comes through a zeal. For God's glory. Verse 13 says. So in the lowest parts of the space. Behind the wall. In open places. I stationed the people. By their clans. With their swords. Their spears. And their bows." Then verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and the other half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail is, is the uh, real term for that. And the Lord, the leaders rather, stood behind the whole house of Judah. Who were building on the wall and then verse 21 says so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out remember they didn't have uh, lighting back then like we do now so they worked from the time the sun came up to the time the sun went down and I said to the people at the time let every man and servants pass the night in Jerusalem that they may be a god for us by night and may labor by day so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the god who followed me none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapon at the right hand what does this have to do with zeal first of all the glory of god must be defended always by the believer this wall was to the glory of god it was for Jerusalem it was for god's city it was for this city To be protected as they worship God. As they worked Nehemiah organized the Jews. Into two camps. Those who would build. And those who would defend. And the workers worked. With a weapon in one hand. And labored with the other. This is a picture of. The Christian life. One hand. Is on the word. I'm sorry one hand is on work. And the other hand is on the word. Or. The sword of the Spirit, as Paul describes in Ephesians 6 and 17. We are called to stand firm in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, and to defend the faith. All of this while we go about our daily duties in this world. So, this is the dual nature of the Christian work ethic. We work in this world, we have our daily duties that we have, whether at school, whether in the home, whether in the workplace, whether among friends and family, we have our duty as Christians to go about that. But at the same time, at the same time, we're called to what? be strong in the Lord. We're called to stand firm in the Lord. We're called to defend the faith. We are called to be active. We're not called to be passive or to be pansies. We the, the, the Christian faith is an act of faith. It is a faith of, of strength and encouragement and, and persevering and standing firm and being strong. Paul said in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We do that as we go about our daily walk, our daily duties. We are strong in the Lord. We're standing firm on what? God's truth that firm foundation we don't cast that aside as we go about our daily no we stand firm one hand is the word and one hand is work and we go through our day like that Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God why because we're going to have the wiles the schemes of Satan coming against us when every single day that's when he told the uh, Ephesian church to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he says, stand therefore. And then he goes on to list the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and girded in prayer. We do that every day as we carry out our daily duties, as we're at work, as we're at school, as we're in the home as we're with our family members always having that armor on standing firm in our faith because it is going to be opposed by those who hate god and so nehemiah they had a zeal for god's glory they had a zeal to build and to defend god's glory they did not want the work of god to be insulted they did not want the work of God to be ridiculed they cared about the glory of God and guess what we should too in our walk God is zealous for his own glory God is zealous zeal means to have intense faith intense faith to be zealous God said in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, it says, For my name's sake I will defend, I will rather defer my anger. And for my praise I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. God is zealous for his own glory. He alone deserves glory and honor and praise. To him alone, as the benediction says, be majesty, glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. And that is what Nehemiah had in mind. We must be zealous for the glorification of God's name because the glory of God is not man-centered. It is God-centered. This is why the builders persevered and came up with plans to rebuild and to defend. They were zealous for carrying out God's will for his people, and that was for this wall to be rebuilt around the city. And we see this also in Christ. Christ demonstrated his zeal. For God's glory. Also. When he overturned the tables. Of the money changers. In his temple. Why did he do that? Because he was zealous. For the house of God. It says here in Mark 11.15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went to the temple. And began to drive out those. Who bought and sold in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple then he taught saying to them it is not written is it not written rather my house should be a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of thieves Christ was zealous for the house of God he was zealous for God to be worshipped rightly and that's what we see demonstrated in this uh, passage in Mark Jesus sought the glory of his father and all that he did he said in John 7 and 18 he says the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood Christ sought to bring glory to the Father because he was zealous for the Father's glory. He endured the suffering of the cross also for God's glory. It wasn't for his own, but it was for the glory of the Lord. And we see this in John 12 and 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The suffering of the cross was for God to be glorified. Do you know that the purpose of our suffering is for God to be glorified? The purpose of our discouragements that we experience is for God's glory. It's for God to be glorified in our suffering in our discouragements in our disappointments in our setbacks it is for God's glory and for his glory alone Christ endured the suffering of the cross for God's glory Nehemiah he endured the insults of their enemies for God's glory. Which leads to our last principle. Excuse me. The servant's confidence comes through trusting in God's sovereignty, God's power. Verse 14b, the second part. Do not be afraid of them. Why? Remember the Lord. Who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us. And that God had frustrated their plans. That's the sovereignty of the Lord at work. He prayed to the Lord. He encouraged the people. And what did God do? God frustrated their work. Verse 20, the last phrase, our God will fight for us. Again, it was God who would prosper this work. Nehemiah said that in Nehemiah 2 and 20 because his sovereign hand was on it. It was the Lord who was great and awesome, who frustrated their plans and who helped them to rebuild. He is the sovereign God of this universe, and guess what? God's plans will not be thwarted, no matter what God's plans cannot be thwarted by the schemes of man. May we always remember that there's nothing that man can do to stop God's plan. Job says this is in job five and twelve about God. He says he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their. Plans. God frustrates the plans of the crafty. The leaders and the people knew that their God was unlike the gods of the pagans. God is unique, and he enjoys a personal relationship with them, unlike the pagan gods, small g gods. That is why God inclines his ear to hear their prayers. They wouldn't pray to the sovereign God if he didn't hear them, would they? No. They knew that God is attentive. Verse 4. We see that God is attentive. Hear God. Hear O our God. That God is righteous. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land. They knew that God was powerful. Powerful. Verse 14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And that God is sovereign. That he frustrated their plans. And that God is unfailing. We see that in again and again in verse 20. That he is unfailing. Our God will fight for us. What do we see in all this? God is sovereign. God is will do what he says he would do. We can trust in God's sovereignty. (coughs) That God is attentive. He hears that he's righteous, that he is powerful, that he's holy, that he's sovereign, and that he is unfailing. And this reality gave Nehemiah and his brethren clear confidence and clear commitment to see this rebuilding of this wall despite the verbal threats of their enemies despite the weariness you know they were they were getting tired they are getting weary despite the physical anguish the physical danger despite the discouragement despite the fear of their threats they continued not because their faith was flourishing but because they relied on the sovereignty of God friends when I work when our strength begins to fail, guess what? We can trust in God. When we feel our strength failing. When we feel ourselves getting discouraged. We can trust in the sovereignty of God. That God will do it for us. That God is there with us. That God is for us. That God's plans will not be fail, not ever, no matter what type of opposition comes up against it. God tells Judah this in Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Listen to those I wills and I ams by God. First, he states the proposition. Fear not. He says, fear not. And then he answers, why should you not fear, Israel? Christian, why should you not fear? I am with you. Why should you not be dismayed? I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. That is the sovereignty of God at work. And that's what he does. And that's where we find our confidence. We trust in the fact that God will. God will. That he is. That he is God. That he is with us. That he will never fail God is able to make all grace abound to you for so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work that is is Second Corinthians 9 and 8 God causes us to abound in every good work because his grace abounds in us abound meaning ha- having no No limits, no restraints. This is a side note, but if you notice back at verse, uh, the end of verse 14, Nehemiah says he's telling these men to fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes who were doing the fighting men godly men that's very patriarchal and our culture doesn't like that now but, but that's, that's who they're to be protected by men protect the homes, protect their wives, protect their sons protect their fellow brethren, that is what God called men to do to be what? Protectors. That's that's in our DNA. God called men to protect. He called men to be the protectors. And that's not a bad thing. Don't let the culture tell you that it is. That's not a bad thing. That is the responsibility of men. Men should protect women. Men should protect children. Men should protect daughters. Men should protect homes. It is men to do that. Now, just a side note that I I saw there. That's a sermon for another day. Gospel implications here. Always remember saints, the gospel will encounter opposition. Don't be afraid to share it anyway. It's going to encounter opposition because it's God's truth. And there are people who don't want to hear the truth. The work of God is a persevering work. It takes endurance. It does. Jesus gives his people the strength to endure opposition for the sake of the gospel. He does. Christ, Christ strengthens us. He strengthens us. And that's gospel implication. God the Father always hears the prayers of his people. Christian don't ever think that God didn't hear your prayers don't think that you blew it with God he hears your prayers you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ the righteousness of Christ has been applied to your sin account your debt is paid in full God hears you because of the work of his son applications I got four verbs here: pray, preserve, persevere, defend, and trust. Pray to God diligently. Be diligent in prayer, especially when opposition and discouragement sets in. Persevere in God's work faithfully. Defend God's glory zealously. Don't let people blaspheme the Lord or insult the Lord's name and trust in God wholeheartedly may we live those truths out may we share those truths with other believers Amen. let us pray Father thank you for your word thank you Lord for the encouragement that we receive from the scriptures thank you Lord for showing us what we have in Christ as the one who persevered the one who suffered and yet entrusted everything to you and we see the example of Nehemiah doing the same Lord help us in our weaknesses to to trust in you we partner with you, Lord, in doing your work in this world. May we trust in you, Lord. We we suffer from a lack of trust at times. I'm afraid all of us do, even myself sometimes. Forgive us for those times of mistrust, Lord, and and let us just throw ourselves at your mercy Let to cling tightly also to the cross. Lord, may you use this word to encourage us. Encourage our hearts. Encourage our hearts. And to share it with others. Who need to hear it also. Who need to be encouraged as Christians. And, and Lord may it be used also to bring sinners to repentance. As they see this glorious God that we serve. And they're, they're missing out on those privileges of being one of his children. So Lord use this word to save and to encourage